It's Wednesday, March 8th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Matt Greer, and joining me in studio, we've got Ron Gross from Motley Fool Total Income and Matt Argersinger from Million Dollar Portfolio. Gentlemen, welcome. Thanks, How are you doing, Matt? Guys, I'm doing well, and we're going to try something a little different today. We are going with an all mailbag episode. Uh oh. Full nice. mailbag. Okay? Okay. All so right, let, let's get I'm right in, to it. Like uh, I have a choice. Good. You have no choice. <laughs> And we're going to begin with a question about stock buybacks from Tom Smith from Antioch, California. How are stock buybacks actually done? For example, did Home Depot just put $15 billion in their Schwab account and then put in a limit order? <laughs> Seems like they have to be careful not to make huge purchases that would shoot their stock price up, too. I'm just curious as to the mechanics of the repurchase process. Ron Gross. Well, nothing says good podcast like the mechanics of stock buybacks, <laughs> but I will refer all everyone to SEC Rule 10B18. Of course, oh, I'm sure, sure most of us wow. are familiar wow. with it. This, this is, is getting, where we lower expectations. It's <laughs> getting more interesting. No, but the bottom line is, um, yes, you do certainly need a broker. It's not your Schwab account. Um, it's a it's an actual human being that can, can work in order for you and, and make trades for you. And there's many, many rules associated with stock buybacks, a big one being that you can't be in possession of material non-public information, so insider information, which is actually kind of hard because everything is inside when you work for a company, but it can't be real material, something that you know is going to affect affect the stock either way. Um, you only can use one broker in any given day. You can't have many brokers out there putting in different bids for a stock for you, for example. You can't be more than 25% of the daily volume. You can't trade as you can't be the first trade of the day. You can't trade in the last 30 minutes of the day. Lots and lots of different rules you must follow to keep everything on the up and up. Um, and you know, it, it once you get the hang of it, it's not it's not too hard to stay compliant. And I'd say it's fair to say that Home Depot is not you know, opening a discount brokerage account at Charles Schwab. They obviously have a specialist, probably someone at a major uh, brokerage or investment bank that's that's able to buy in blocks, I imagine. So that's that's generally how it works. And so a related question here, when are stock buybacks a bullish indicator and when should investors beware? Well, the the easiest thing to say is to say it it's a great use of capital when the stock is undervalued. And that but you know, how do you judge that? That that's the trick. Um, companies will Often, by history has shown, will buy their stock back at the wrong time when the stocks are, are somewhat overvalued, and that is a terrible use of capital, and it destroys shareholder value. So you got to be careful. Another reason I hate to see stock buybacks is when a company is trying to offset the dilution caused by issuing options to its employees. Um, I understand why it's done, but. You you don't want to see that typically as a good use of capital. So hey, if if they don't if they have a lot of cash, they don't have growth opportunities for all of it. They see their stock as being a great growth opportunity at a good price. Then go for it. Buy you know all the stock you can back. And our second email comes from Gilly Beeman. Um, Gilly asks, "What are the odds Priceline and Expedia are both calling TripAdvisor at the same time to discuss an acquisition?" Matt. Ah, well, yeah, Gilly. Uh, you know, I, I think with TripAdvisor at a pretty much a five-year low, uh, the odds are probably good as they've ever been right now. Uh, you know, and there's been rumors uh, in recent years about an acquisition. I think the best fit is probably Priceline. Uh, you know, one. Priceline, it really boosts Priceline's share of U.S. travel customers. We know Booking.com is their big platform, super popular in Europe, not not so huge here in the U.S. Um, so it really boosts their marketing potential here in the U.S. TripAdvisor's got 350 million unique visitors per month. That's a huge number. 
something like almost 400 million reviews. Mac, I know you're responsible for at least a dozen or so I am. I'm, I get these emails. I'm one of the top-rated reviewers, <laughs> wow. in the, in, at least in this zip we're, code. We're here with royalty. That's right. So <laughs> There are a lot of eyeballs that Priceline can gain by buying TripAdvisor. And, you know, TripAdvisor's got this growing activities business, which is, is, is getting some kind of scale. And so, if you think about Priceline as mostly getting people to the destination, well, TripAdvisor has things they can actually do when they get to the destination. So, it kind of helps Priceline become more of a one-stop shop uh, OTA. What I'll say, though, is, uh, in reality, I don't think Priceline would ever get the chance, because I think Expedia would be the one. Yeah. If TripAdvisor was compelling enough, they'd actually be the one to make the acquisition. Uh, and that's because there's a strong relationship between uh, TripAdvisor and Expedia through Liberty Interactive. And I'll explain that for those who don't know, and you kind of have to bear with me here. So, Barry Diller and John Malone, longtime friends, occasional business partners. Diller is Expedia's chairman. Liberty Interactive, which is controlled by John Malone, owns 16% of Expedia. Liberty, Act, Liberty Interactive, in turn, owns a controlling stake in TripAdvisor through its Liberty TripAdvisor tracking stock. For those that are and, still with us, and, and the CEO here, I go, I go on, and the CEO of Liberty Interactive, Greg Moffey, also happens to be the chairman of TripAdvisor. But so, am I crazier? Wasn't Expedia spun out? Uh, TripAdvisor spun out of Expedia. They, it, it, it was. It, it's, it's not. It's not controlled by Expedia right, except anymore. to the extent that right. Liberty Interactive has a stake in. Expedia Got and TripAdvisor. At this point, I almost want to go back to the stock buyback discussion. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I, you know, I, I think at today's price, an acquisition of TripAdvisor looks compelling to both. But I'd say Expedia probably has the first dibs. Priceline would have to make a very compelling case and pay a pretty big premium. And so, Priceline's yeah. a much bigger company. Uh, oh yeah, eighty-five billion or so versus Expedia at eighteen billion. TripAdvisor now, as Matt said, only a six billion dollar company. So you could get this done with stock or even low low cost debt if you wanted to. Um, but I agree, Priceline is is the more likely. See, I like the Expedia angle because I love TripAdvisor. I contribute reviews. Um, I read reviews, but the problem for me in TripAdvisor is I don't transact through TripAdvisor. Right. I find the hotel or the place I like, and then I go to Expedia or I go to the hotel's website. If Expedia buys them, then it's that one-stop shop. I can book my flight on Expedia, I can book my hotel on Expedia, and I can read the reviews. That's absolutely right. So that's the challenge, right? And TripAdvisor is trying to move to that booking kind of platform where you can do everything there. Inertia. I'm not doing it. <laughs> so You're right. So, something like an Expedia acquisition obviously accelerates that and makes that kind of redundant. Okay. Our third email comes um, from Jerry Villani from Cleveland, Ohio. Jerry writes, due to the great market over the past year, I have a few stocks in my portfolio that have doubled since I bought them. I've been reading up on the strategy of selling half a position when a position doubles. The pro seems to be locking in profits and rebalancing your portfolio. The con seems to be cutting in half a potential huge winner. Was wondering what your thoughts were on this. Well, Jerry, I'd say I'd say the con is is pretty strong for us because we have a term here at the Fool, and I'm not sure if David Gardner was the first if he coined it or is he the first to use it, but it's called trimming your flowers and watering your weeds. And and Jerry, that sounds a little bit like what you're thinking about doing. You know, in most cases, you actually want to do the exact opposite. You really want to add to your winners and sell your losers in most cases, um, but at least. Have a healthy bias towards holding on to your winners as long as you can, and I'd say especially if you have high conviction in the company, you don't need the cash immediately, and of course you don't if you don't see better opportunities elsewhere. If that's if that's all going for you, I'd I'd always lean towards holding on to your winners. 
Yeah, I take a little bit more of a value investor slant to that. Although I won't completely disagree with Maddie. In fact, I won't. I won't disagree on a lot of that. But to me, it's, it boils down to two things. Do you think the stock still has market beating potential? If it doesn't, you probably shouldn't own any of it. Um, if you really want to take a value investor perspective, but if you think it does, then own as much as you like. The second thing is though, can you sleep at night? If a, if a stock is 20, 30, 40% of your portfolio, is that literally affecting your sleep? If not, maybe it's okay. For me, it's not. I don't typically go over 10%. That's a big number for me. Um, everyone is different. But to me, the bottom line is it's not how big a, a, a allocation do you have, is what is the future potential of the stock. And guys, Jerry also had some thoughts on how Starbucks could solve its traffic problem. You may have read recently where Starbucks, with the popularity of its mobile ordering system, a lot of in-store traffic. And here's Jerry's idea. After listening to your report that Starbucks' problem is too many orders at morning rush hour, it got me to thinking that maybe they should institute Uber-like surge pricing. <laughs> During the morning rush, it's 10 or 20 cents more, and then cheaper in the afternoon when demand so, is So, Jerry slow. got two questions here? Uh, it's a question and uh, a comment. No, okay. So, here, so, the businessy term for what he's talking about, Uber is surge pricing, but it's dynamic pricing. And, right. and most pricing is based on demand and supply, for that matter. But typically, it doesn't get adjusted intraday, like you could see in surge pricing with Uber. But a t great example would be airlines. Airlines fluctuate their prices based on demand and, and the seat supply all the time. Um, auto dealerships do it. Bars have happy hours, where they charge less of a, a, um, of a price at the uh, time of day where it's not typically crowded. I've so heard there's of dynamic <laughs> it's there's dynamic pricing all over the place. Disneyland is starting it. Um, I read a great article that really uh, summarizes all the ways dynamic pricing are, are currently being used. The problem is is there going to be backlash. There's backlash at Uber, people hate the surge pricing. There's been time, periods of time where they've tried to kind of maybe phase it out. It still remains however. If it's going to if you go to Starbucks and you end up leaving angry that you paid more than then perhaps you would have if you had waited a half hour, I have a feeling that won't work. Yeah, I think with with quick serve restaurants it's not fair to put Starbucks in that category but there is there is a transparency of pricing that's pretty important so i think if you walked into a Starbucks and you're thinking all right i know what i want but i, I don't exactly know how much it's going to cost until i go up to the <laughs> to the cashier it's that that creates a, a i think an interesting dilemma but you know i have to say i think Jerry's on to something here i mean i think dynamic pricing as Ron described uh, really well i think that's something that can actually work for more and more industries i mean i, I and i think because we are a sort of on demand Consumer now, and so we're willing to sort of pay more if, if our time is more important to us in certain cases. So um, I, I like the idea. I think the stock market is the biggest example of dynamic pricing. The pricing changes literally by the second based on supply and demand, and we seem to accept that. And right. so uh, I think it can translate elsewhere. But do you think in our situation we've got a Starbucks and a Dunkin' Donuts? Right by the office. So if Starbucks did something like this and they hike the price of coffee ten to twenty cents in the morning. Could they get away with that? Because I mean, I already go to Dunkin', so I'm probably not the best example. But do you think they could get away with it? Well, you'll start seeing the, you know, like a gasoline, you know, where they put this, this, this prices out front, you yes. know, big. And it's like, oh, okay, okay, it's twenty cents cheaper over here. I'm going over here. I'm walking an extra two blocks to save myself twenty cents and a cup of coffee. I, I don't know. 
Yeah, it's hard. You know, the, the the toll roads have it now, based on the the demand for this express lane. That the, they have the prices change up and down, and to me, it remains to be seen. That sometimes can backfire, and you have people the opposite um, reaction that you want folks to have ends up happening. So do you, do you you run into D- uh, Dunkin' Donuts instead because you know you're you're angry at Starbucks? It, it could be a problem. It's just it really is fascinating because it is the value placed on time. I mean, I, I've been in lines many times where I said, you know what, I would I'll pay an extra a dollar if I can get out of here in two minutes as opposed to waiting 15 or 20 minutes. That happens all the time. Okay, well, guys, we will leave it there. You can always email your questions to marketfoolery at fool.com. That's marketfoolery at fool.com. Thanks to Jerry, Gilly, and Tom, and Matt and Ron. Thanks for joining me. Thank Thanks you, back. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Matt Greer. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow.